Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Go ahead and move back to your seats. Welcome, everyone. Very happy Labor Day weekend to you all, or the beginning of Toyotathon. For those of you uh, who observe, uh, it's good to see you all. Good to see that everything's still standing. You know, sometimes, yeah, it's not. Yeah. Uh, that Jonathan took care of you all while I was away. Uh, so we're continuing on in this series, A Generous Common Life. And uh, we're taking this one passage of scripture, Galatians 6, 1 through 10, and we're taking three or four months on that. Um, we're not, uh, like as a church, we tend to go really, really deep on one singular concept to kind of get everything out of it that we can. And it's like Thoreau said, to suck the marrow out of life. We want to get every possible ounce of the goodness of God out of a particular passage of scripture or a particular concept. So we're taking three months essentially on 10 verses. And so the first part of this series we explored, uh, we're looking at this, this juxtaposition or this paradox that Paul gives us when he says, um, carry your own load and carry each other's burdens. And we're looking at how do we delineate what is ours to carry? What's our personal responsibility? And then what is Uh, the responsibility of the community, that together there are things that are larger than our own individual capacities to be able to carry. Um, And that a lot of times immaturity is when we project onto others uh, responsibility for the things that are actually ours. So a couple weeks ago I talked about feelings, for example. Um, Other people are not responsible for your feelings. You are responsible for how you feel and learning how to maneuver those things. Um, But there are other things that are just a little bit too much for us. For example, um, when crisis strikes in our lives and we feel like we don't have the capacity to hold it together, to move through incredibly different or difficult periods uh, in our lives, God gives us community, people who come alongside of us and hold us up through those trying times. And so today we're beginning that transition to the second half, which is um, what is it that we are responsible to one another for? How do we hold and carry each other. So I'm going to read uh, Galatians 6, 1 through 10. Today we're going to be looking at it in the New Living Translation, um, which I quite like. Um, one, of the, one of the reasons that I like this uh, wants me to do the audio Bible. There's a Johnny Cash version of the Bible. Did you guys know that? Yeah. Um, it is in King James. Oh, God. If it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for you, okay? Um, if it's good, yeah. I mean, if Johnny said it, I believe it, that settles it, right? Amen. Do you want to hear a really great um, story about Johnny Cash? Yes. All right. So uh, a friend of mine, he is in music management. He managed uh, a little-known DJ called Skrillex. No big deal. <laughs> so I know a guy who knows a guy, you know? And um, he, he worked with a lot of different bands, and um, there's a band called Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. Does anybody know this band? Fantastic. They're absolutely fantastic. So they, one day, they're at a festival, and they call their manager in tears. Okay, so this manager's telling my buddy this story. They call in tears. He's like, what's going on? What's wrong? They're like, okay, so uh, Johnny Cash came to our green room, and we just got to talking, and then he shared the gospel with us, and I think we're all Christians now. <laughs> 
So until the end of his days, Johnny Cash, and very like, very humbly, uh, was continuing to, to share the good news of Jesus because it really, it saved him throughout his life several times. Um, and if you ever want a real treat, my mother's hymn book, it's one of the last records he ever uh, recorded in his older age, just him and a guitar doing kind of old timey uh, hymns, hymns, and it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. So anyway, we're not here to talk about Johnny Cash. We're here to talk about uh, Paul. So I like this New Living Translation of Scripture um, because it, it's very sensitive to uh, gender neutrality. We've talked about this before, that uh, Greek works a lot like maybe like Spanish does, where everything's gendered and it tends to skew towards uh, the masculine when you're talking about a mixed group. So the word Adelphoi often gets translated as brothers, but the implication would actually be brothers and sisters. Um, and that's one of the reasons that I like this New Living Translation. But a lot like the message, it kind of skews towards uh, readability and comprehensibility than it does to accuracy. And that's always going to be kind of the inevitable payoff with, with uh, Bible translations is either it's very readable and easily digestible, but maybe a little less accurate word for word or phrase for phrase, or it's very accurate in how it translates the words, the phrases in, in the Greek, Aramaic, whatever, um, but it can be a little bit hard to comprehend. So in this series, we're really trying to bounce back and forth between different translations to get a fuller picture of what's happening. So this is Galatians 6, verses 1 through 10 in the New Living Translation. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Go ahead and get that tattooed right on the back of your hand. You are not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. And let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this blessed time that, Lord, you, you give us moments, and those moments are an invitation to recenter, to reorient on you, to be sensitive and connected to one another. And Lord, may we not waste the time that you have given us. Teach us how to keep our eyes open to see your move in us and through us, keep our ears open to hear you speak when you call our names, keep our hearts open to receive deep and profound truths from you that can transform us, can rescue us, can bring us from death to life. And keep our minds open that day by day we are being renewed 
that we begin to think differently. And from that new way of thinking, we begin to see everything else differently. So may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When was the last time that you were really, truly blessed? When you close your eyes and just think about that. When was, perhaps it was something someone said to you, or it was a gift that they gave you. And perhaps it was a moment of just deep, what we call fellowship, that relationship beyond relationship. There was a moment where you felt truly, truly blessed by the presence of another person. What was it that made that moment different from every other moment? What was in those words that felt different than your normal conversation with people? When was the last time that you were able to genuinely bless someone? Where you were able to speak in a way or offer your presence in a way that it felt like it changed the atmosphere of the room itself? That's what I want us to talk about today. We're going to be talking about the role of blessing in, in this idea of us carrying one another's burdens. Because I think a lot of times when we read a passage like this in Galatians 6, we talk about accountability. And accountability means that every you know, Wednesday we get around and say, okay, how many of you looked at pornography in the past week? And that's what accountability is, right? Like it's only about like policing one another's behavior. And that's why a lot of us are rather allergic to it. But there's a, this far deeper, more beautiful invitation when we look at what it means for us to carry one another's burdens, where we, as Jonathan was talking to us last week, where we learn how to forgive one another, where we learn how to walk in forgiveness, where we hold each other up through exhortation and encouragement, and where we bless one another by our presence to remind us of what it is that we so often forget, right? And that's a big part of what it means to be a human being, is that all of these things that we have a responsibility to carry in our personal, um, in our, you know, kind of a personal knapsack, so to speak, we so often forget who we really are and what we're really here to do. So this is, this is kind of my, my major thesis for today. I believe that blessing is a form of prayer that reveals in us what is hidden, reminds us of what is forgotten, and opens us up to possibility. I think blessing is a form of prayer it's a form of prayer because it's a, it's a bid for connection. It's a language of intimacy, that prayer is a beckoning and an invocation to togetherness. And that prayer binds us to God as our highest ideal. And prayer also binds us to one another. And that binding does something in particular through our language, through symbol, and through action. It begins to reveal things that have been hidden, where in the surface mundane everydayness of our lives, sometimes these things are just below the surface. And if only we could peer at them, we could recognize the sacredness of life itself. It reminds us of what is forgotten, that because of the chaos and the crisis and the constantly moving parts of our lives, that we forget these deepest truths. And it opens us up to possibility, that we feel like we get stuck, that whatever is true today will always be true. And so blessing, in a way, works in two different directions. Blessing opens us up to the reality of the present moment, but blessing also opens us up to the possibility of the future to enable us to continue to move forward. 
Usually, blessings um, are written in a poetic form because it's an invitation to transcendence. Sometimes we're so addicted to literalism that we look at so we look at something essentially like what like scripture, for example, like a word-for-word -word analysis of what this thing is supposed to mean, and we turn scripture and we turn blessing itself into some sort of code that we're supposed to decipher. And when we're thinking on that level of literalism, um, we actually rob blessing written blessing, spoken blessing, we rob it of this invitation to transcendence. Because we feel like whatever we're participating in, whatever we're experiencing, has to be able to be codified and reduced and made manageable. And I think it's one of the greatest tragedies of the modern Christian movement is that we take this idea called truth and we have to be able to bottle it, understand it, and then control it and make it work for us. Rather than truth being an invitation to move beyond ourselves, to grow into something that we cannot comprehend, something that is bigger than us. It's that, that, it's that call to transcendence, that call to a new awareness. And a lot of times, the language of blessing, if not uh, in particular, but in the general sentiment, contains these, these words, may you which I rather love. We're going to be looking at a passage of scripture today that contains this kind of blessing. But the words may you are an invocation. The words may you open up this moment to say there's an invitation to go a little bit deeper than what you're experiencing right now. And there's an invitation for you to go a little bit farther than what you can see on the horizon. The words may you are a calling forth of these transcendent forms of truth that perhaps actually catch us up and take us somewhere new. And we recognize this a lot in the heritage that we have in Celtic spirituality. You know, a lot of us are stuck in um, a rather dualistic worldview, which is that there's the, the physical realm over here, the material world, and it's inherently bad. And then there's the spiritual realm, and it's somewhere else, and that's the good stuff. And God doesn't really have an opinion about the material realm. It's kind of gross and base. Um, and we're supposed to get over to this thing called the spiritual realm, which is why we imagine heaven being where all of a sudden we become little cherubim with harps and we just kind of sing little songs for the rest of eternity. And it sounds really rather boring uh, to me. I don't know about you. Um, and that, that comes much more from Greek philosophy, this Gnostic ideal that the material world is corrupt and evil and the spiritual world, that's the real target. That's what we're really trying to get to. Um, but in the Celtic inheritance of the Christian a household. There's this recognition that the spiritual realm and the material realm are actually inextricably linked. And that there's this veil, there's this language in Celtic Christianity called thin places. There are these thin places in the world where that veil between the spiritual and the material is so, so thin, it's like gossamer. And all it's doing is begging for someone to come and to pull back the veil and to say, this is what is actually happening. This is the real, the real thing that's happening beneath the thing. And that's really what blessing does. Blessing pulls back the veil of mundane everyday life to show us the far deeper beauty that's there. We find in uh, John O'Donohue, who was a wonderful spiritual writer who passed rather recently. Um, and he's from the West Country in Ireland, which is probably the prettiest of the Irish, uh, you know, uh, um, what am I trying to say? Not, not languages. Um, the accents. It's probably the only nice Irish accent, um, honestly, is in the West Country. And he wrote this about blessing. He said, in the parched deserts of postmodernity, a blessing can be like the discovery of a fresh well. 
It would be lovely if we could rediscover our power to bless one another. I believe each of us can bless. When a blessing is invoked, it changes the atmosphere. Some of the plenitude flows into our hearts from the invisible neighborhood of loving kindness. In the light and reverence of blessing, a person or situation becomes illuminated in a completely new way. In a dead wall, a new window opens. In dense darkness, a path starts to glimmer. And into a broken heart, healing falls like morning dew. It's ironic that so often we continue to live like paupers through our inheritance of spirit is so vast. The quiet eternal that dwells in our souls is silent and subtle. In the activity of blessing, it emerges to embrace and nurture us. Let us begin to learn how to bless one another. Whenever you give a blessing, a blessing returns to enfold you. And as I've been working on my rule of life for this next season, I've been reading John O'Donohue's blessings each morning to set that tone, to open me up um, to the sacredness of the present moment, but also to open me up to the possibility of what the Lord might have in the future. So what is not blessing? I think this is very key, and this is why it's hard for so many of us both to receive blessing and to offer it. I think, number one, blessing is not flattery, okay? Blessing is not the same thing as flattery. Uh, flattery tends to commend the surface nature of your person. And flattery tends to be rather manipulative. When we flatter one another, there's usually an ulterior motive that I'm saying something saccharine and sweet about you so that I can draw you in, so that I can get you to return it to me. It's a very surfacey kind of way of seeing blessing. But flattery tends to commend only the surface. Flattery commends our performance or it commends our looks or it commends how nice we are. It takes these rather surfacey um, experiences of being a human being and it elevates them to say this is who you truly are. And what hop happens when we fall privy to flattery too often is that we find that we become addicted to chasing after a shallow form of love because we believe that the best we can hope for in life is merely to be admired. And that if we can receive flattery, that's basically as good as actually being loved. So what do we do? We just continue to try harder. Or we just continue to try to make ourselves look better. And that's the poison of flattery. Is it, it, it blesses something on the surface of our lives that isn't the true self and it's not as important. But then we believe that that's who we really are. And we believe that we are surfacey, shallowy creatures. And that's why some of us are rather allergic to flattery because we know someone is trying to manipulate us or they're trying to box us in that our true value is something that's found on the surface, our looks, our talents, whatever that might be. The second form of, I would say, counterfeit blessing is advice, okay? Second form of counterfeit blessing is advice. And here's the problem with advice. I like advice. How many of you, you like advice, right? Like you need, you need advice sometimes. It depends. it depends. Yeah, that's very fair. That's very fair. And from whom and what they're saying and so on and so forth. One of the most helpful things that you'll ever find in any kind of relationship is to, when someone's venting, to say, pause. Do you want me to listen or do you want me to help you find a solution? Most of the time, we don't actually know what we want when we just vent, right? But if someone can clarify and you go, okay, now I know how to be present to you, or okay, I don't really want to be present for this, I'm out, you know? Um, 
we, we live in an era of unasked for and unmitigated advice. Um, there's a lot of advice online. There are a lot of hot takes. There's a lot of things that are there that are supposed to be helping us to live a better life. But so often what happens is that when we dole out advice, um, we dishonor the person before us and we dishonor the circumstance that they're going through. So several years ago, I had a pastor that I worked for. Amazing, amazing man. But he would enter into these kind of these seasons where you could tell like he was just exhausted, you know, like he'd been working too hard where he'd become very prescriptive in his pastoral work. So someone would come to him with a problem and say, oh yeah, I've seen this a hundred times. Here's what you need to do. Just go and do this thing. And it was like a kind of take two and call me in the morning kind of advice. And a lot of people walked away feeling very dishonored because they didn't feel like they had actually been seen or that the, 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 uh, the intimate particularity of their, their issue with their struggle, whatever they were working through was not actually being, was not, was not being seen, was not being blessed. And advice becomes very prescriptive in a way that it dishonors the person that's in front of us. And the problem with flattery and advice as counterfeit blessing is that neither of them require real care. And they don't require actual attention or thoughtfulness. We can just dole out flattery very, very quickly. It's almost automatic to many of us to call out these things and be like, wow, Patrick, that's an amazing shirt, brother. Like, I love it. Like, you're so handsome. You're so cool. Like, we honored, you know, it's very easy to do flattery. You are really handsome and you are really cool. And that is a great shirt. Okay. This one. Thanks, man. We called each other this morning to dress, didn't we? Um, and it's very easy for us to dole out advice. Well, here's what you should do and blah, 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 and this and that. And here's what Dr. Phil said. And let's go. It doesn't require any thought. And it's this transactional replacement for this far deeper invitation that God is giving us uh, to learn how to genuinely bless one another. And I think that's why a lot of you have a hard time receiving true blessing because you're so conditioned to the counterfeit forms of flattery and advice. How many of you have a hard time receiving blessing? Like real, like someone looks to, looks to the heart of you and calls forth beauty and you're like, no, I'm out. That, that can't be true. It's because we're allergic to those counterfeit forms of flattery and advice. So I want to look at the two the kind of the two halves of a blessing and delve a little bit deeper into those and see how they play out in the biblical narrative. So there's a blessing as it blesses the present moment. And then there's blessing as it blesses the future moment. So number one, to be blessed is to be reminded of what's truest about God yourself and the world around you. So to be blessed is to be reminded of something that you have forgotten or to reveal something that has been hidden. We are notoriously forgetful creatures. Um, it would be very nice if everything we've ever learned was constantly just sitting on the surface or we had a nice like little Dewey Decibel system in our brains that we could just categorize all of the information and all of the important truths we're supposed to remember and we'd be good. But that's not uh, just, that's just not available uh, to human beings because we're constantly in this ebb and flow of life that we go through these highs and we go through these lows and we have seasons of uh, abundance and seasons of crisis. And it can be very hard to muster the willpower to stay grounded in ourselves and to stay grounded in God. And like I said, right at the beginning of this series, when we talk about the things that are our personal responsibility and we talk about the things that are communal responsibility, the line isn't as clear as we would often like it. 
So for example, at the end of the day, yes, it is very true that it is your responsibility to take hold of the relationship that you have with God and to understand who you truly are at your core, your identity in Christ. That is your responsibility. Nobody can do that for you. You cannot outsource intimacy with God. In fact, it's rather porn pornographic to expect other people to believe on your behalf. Okay. Um, one of my uh, favorite movies, Keeping the Faith, pretty obscure, Ben Stiller and Ed Norton. It's so good. It's about a priest and a rabbi and they, and Ben Stiller says, rabbis, uh, Jew, the Jews want rabbis to be the kind of Jews that they don't have the time to be. And Ed Norton says, yeah, and Catholics want their priests to be the kind of Christians they don't have the time to be. Um, and that's, that's the problem so often is we want to outsource our intimacy with God. Well, if somebody else is doing it, like those professional Christians on stage, they're doing it for me. And that's why it's pornographic because we're, we're borrowing somebody else's intimacy. And so you have a personal responsibility to that, but there are also these moments in life where it can be really hard to remember what is true, what is true about God, what is really true about yourself and what's really true about the world around you. And so God blesses us with one another to offer those reminders, those blessings to say, no, 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 this is what's truest. So many of you will recall the story in Genesis 2 of Adam and Eve. So God creates Adam. He puts him in a garden. And there's this very curious moment in the story where God looks at Adam and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. And for many of us, we think how strange that is. Like if anybody had direct access to God, unfettered, there is no sin. There's nothing getting between him and God. Why on earth would he be alone? Isn't God all we need, right? This is how sometimes we think within the Christian household. All I need is God. People are a distraction. But God looks at Adam and says, well, it's not good for him to be alone. And so God begins to look for a suitable helper, that's the, the phrase in Hebrew, etzer konecto, is a suitable helper, a mirror image that can help Adam to not feel alone in the presence of God. And he marches all the animals alongside of Adam, and none of them fit the bill, because none of them can rise up to the level of where Adam is in creation. It's kind of being this bridge between the spiritual realm and the physical realm. And so what does God decide to do? He causes Adam to fall asleep. He takes one of Adam's ribs. He creates Eve. And a lot of rabbis will say, the beauty of this is there's lots of extra bones in your feet and there's lots of extra bones in your head. And God didn't choose either of those because Eve is not meant to be lesser than Adam. That was the problem with all the animals is that they, they can't rise up to the level of Adamness to understand what it means to be a human being. Um, but they didn't take anything where Eve is meant to be posited over Adam. Um, because that does, that's not helpful either. He would still feel alone. It's this equal, co-equal relationship that God creates between Adam and Eve. And he says, this is flesh of my flesh and this is bone of my bones. To say, we're actually on the level in creation. And Adam needed Eve. Adam needed community in order to bounce off of someone, this mirror image of going, is it being a human being weird? Like, that's why you and I have each other. To look each other in the eyes and be like, what is this? This is so weird. Like, what is happening? 
We need that. And we need to be able to bounce off one another the experience of intimacy with God. God is our source. It's very true. We do not find our source in other people. But we need other people. We need community to be able to be reminded of what's truest about God, of what's truest about ourselves. And that's the beauty of that Adam and Eve relationship that's extended to all of us, is that we become that mirror image to one another to remind ourselves when we forget this is who you really are. And so blessing really is an invocation of love. And it's love in a very particular way that love as affirmation. Okay, love, there are two halves to love. This first one, love is affirmation to see who you are today and to call to the deepest part of you and to say that that part of you is true. To peel back all the surface lies that we believe about who we are and to say none of this is all BS. None of this is true. This is not who you really are. This deepest, darkest part of you, that's who you really are. The piece that is in the dark, that's, that's hidden, I'm going to bring it to the light through my words and through my presence. So love is affirmation of the deepest truths about who you really are. So what does this blessing sound like? This blessing sounds like someone looking you in the eye and saying, it's good that you're here. It's good that you're here. I'm glad that you're here. When you're here, this thing is better. When you're here, this thing is different. Like if you weren't here, it wouldn't be as good. That's the deepest kind of blessing, that, love, that form of love as affirmation, blessing our presence. And we see this um, in 1 John chapter 12. I'm going to read this also in the New Living Translation because I rather like um, the way that it was written. And, and 1 John uh, is one of my favorite books in general. But the first chapter is like one big run-on sentence. It's, it's full of these huge theological ideas, and it continues on about, uh, you know, being blessed, and this is who we are, and da-da-da. And then there's this pause, and there's a poetic. Again, remember, the poetic form is the invitation to transcendence. We don't analyze poems like we would everything else. This is why when people say, do you take the Bible literally, I say, which part? How do you take a poem literally? That doesn't make sense because that's reductive way of reading scripture. Poetry is transcendent. It's meant to wash over us and to open us up to possibility. So there's all this major theology being done in 1 John chapter 1 and half of 1 John chapter 2. And then it's almost like the writers just take a breath and they're like, okay, before we go any farther, let me remind you of who you really are, because this is probably pretty overwhelming. And this is what they write. Okay, this is 1 John chapter 2, beginning the 12th verse. I'm writing to you who are God's children, because your sins have been forgiven by Jesus. I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith, because you know Christ, who existed from the beginning. I'm writing to you who are young in the faith, because you have won your battle with the evil one. I have written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I have written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. It is so easy to feel overwhelmed by life. It is so easy to feel overwhelmed by all of the roles and the responsibilities and the theology and the doctrine of Christianity that we need to slow down 
we need to be reminded, oh, yes, this is who I am. I love that. Even what Jackie was saying with us singing that song at the very beginning to say, it's a reminder, here is who I am because of who God is. And when we slow down, we remember, we re-center ourselves on God, but we re-anchor ourselves in our true identity. And then we can begin to re-engage with the inevitable chaos and crisis of life. So to be blessed is to be reminded of what is truest about God, yourself, and the world around you. So what about the second part of blessing? If that's blessing of the present moment, this invitation, what we would say, maybe the call to invoke sacredness in the moment. What is the blessing for the future? To be blessed is to open up a path before you to new horizons with God. To be blessed is to open a path before you to these new horizons with God. We are in an era where we are mired in despair and anxiety. And as I've said before, I think despair is the fear that tomorrow will be just like today. That there's nothing new under the sun, that nothing will change. And that might be on a personal level, if you're stuck in addiction, to say, well, what's the point of even fighting this? Tomorrow, I'm going to fail in just the same ways that I did today. That might be on a global level where you look at the human narrative and you see, like the writer of Ecclesiastes, the insanity of the human family as we are continually stuck in these cycles of violence and worthless toil and chasing after the wrong things. And we say meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. That's despair. Uh, but some of us are stuck in anxiety. If despair is the fear that tomorrow is going to be exactly like today, anxiety is the fear that tomorrow might not actually come. What if, what if we don't get there? What if that doesn't really happen? We get, we get transfixed by, by anxiety and it arrests us in the present moment and make, renders us incapable of making any real decisions. It renders us incapable of moving towards God or being reminded of who we really are. Fear is almost like a blinder that covers over our ability to truly see what is good and beautiful and true. And so blessing ruptures despair and anxiety and breaks open those things that would hold us imprisoned in the present moment to call us into a new future with God. In a very particular way, blessing is hope. And as Christians, when we say hope, we don't mean it like, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow so that I can go to Toyotathon. That's not what we mean by hope. <laughs> blessing, hope for us means I have confidence in the God of the future who calls back into the present moment and says, behold, I'm making all things new. This is what we mean by hope. We have confidence in the God of the future. And so if love is affirmation of the truest things about us today, love is also advocacy for transformation in the future. And we have to hold those two things in tension. If love is only affirmation of who I am today, I am being reduced to saying my entire person is whatever I think or feel about myself in this moment. This is why I believe affirmation by itself is not love. And we usually just affirm the surfacey things about ourselves, right? Whatever you believe about yourself today, yep, exactly, that's right. And me loving you is just giving you permission to just be whoever you are today. Um, and it's a very weak form of love. 
because there's no invitation to grow, to transcend, to become more than you are now. But there's another kind of counterfeit form of love that's only about transformation. And it's really to say, you will be presentable to me in the future if you work really hard and you run this 12-step program. Then you're worthy of love. And that kind of love is not love either. So these two extremes, if there's love as only affirmation of who you are today at the expense of any call to transcendence, or there's only expectation for you to grow and change and be better without blessing who you are today, we are in counterfeit forms of love. If you take it to the far extreme, love is affirmation without any call to transformation. We call that neglect, right? That's neglect. Well, whatever's happening right now in your life is fine. No change. But what do we call the other side when it's only about trans, like, like extreme calls to transformation is called abuse, right? Abuse is I refuse to bless who you are today until you change. And by golly, I will make you change through my words, through my fists, whatever it might be. And so true love is to hold in a creative tension, affirmation and transformation. And blessing becomes the language that we find that holds those two things together. And so what does this love as advocacy for transformation sound like? It's to look each other in the eyes and say, there is more to come. Nothing is stuck. One of the greatest little phrases in scripture, and it came to pass. Whatever you're feeling right now, it will pass. Whatever you're experiencing right now, it's going to change. Because God is the God who is with us, who turns curses into blessings. It's our foundational belief about the nature of God. And so blessing is hope. It ruptures despair. It ruptures anxiety and continues to move us forward in the narrative. We see this very early on in God's story with Israel. If you remember, what's happening is that God is looking to rehabilitate a broken people who have been abused. There was only expectation for transformation when they were stuck in Egypt. You have to perform. If you do all of these things, you won't get killed. Your, your value is directly related to how big this wall gets or how high that pyramid is or whatever it might be. And God rescues this broken, identityless people. And he takes them into the desert to rehabilitate them, to give them a new identity, to bless them for who they are today, but also to give them this invitation to transform, to transcend, to grow. And so in the book of Numbers, we kind of find they're at this Mount Sinai in the middle of the desert, and God is giving them the Ten Commandments. He's giving them the law, the Torah, which is really, this is your rehabilitation program. For you to, to learn how to walk this way in the world is to, for you to learn who I am, that I am not an abusive, violent God who only demands penance for everything that you do wrong, although if you read the Jewish scriptures, you know that was really hard for them to understand about God. It was God saying, I, want, I need you to know that you are my children. You are my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. Even though that they had a really hard time understanding because they're so stuck in pagan ideas of God. I, I think the, the, one of the ways that I, I love thinking about God these days is that the Old Testament is the de-idolization of God. 
So God is not a shape. God is not shaped like a giraffe or a half man, half fish dude or whatever. Like God doesn't need all of these blood sacrifices. That's the de-idolization of God in the Old Testament. And then there is the incarnation of God in the New Testament, right? So through the story of the Old Testament, God is shedding all of these small um, ideas that cage who God is in. And they say, God has no shape. God has no form. God is everywhere. And then he is brought back down into a shape called Jesus in the New Testament. Say, now that you've purged all of your idolatry, I want you to incarnate God to understand that God is also human. And so that that whole path of Torah is rehabilitating Israel so they understand what's really going on. And this is one of the, the beautiful invitations that God gives uh, to the priests who were to be the ones that stand in the gap to remind Israel of who God really is and to remind Israel of who they're really called to be. And this will be quite familiar to you. This is um, in Numbers 6, beginning of verse 22. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you're to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. And I love that. I love that the Lord is saying, tell them to pray this thing. And we go, well, why wouldn't God just give that? Why wouldn't God just give that freely? Because if they weren't praying it, they wouldn't actually be able to receive it because they would remain ignorant to the truth of who God is. Okay. So for many of you, when you have these theological conundrums and you're like, well, why do we have to ask God for things? If he's a good father, why wouldn't he just give us stuff? Because even if he gave it to you, you'd never notice because your eyes, the eyes of your heart have not been enlightened to the transcendent beauty of who God is because you're stuck in mundanity. You're stuck in anxiety and you're stuck in despair. And even when God moves through your life, you've become so uh, like shut down by life that you've lost that invitation to transcendence and you wouldn't be able to see God move even when he does. So God says, I want them to begin to pray this way that when you bless them, what you're doing is you're awakening the eyes of their heart to see who I truly am. And God's invitation to Israel in that moment is the same as his invitation to us today. Keep me as the destination of your heart. Whenever you're wandering through the desert, whatever you're struggling against, continue to look to the horizon and to believe that's where I am. That's where I'm inviting you. And when your heart is oriented, remember the heart is the seat of desire. And so when, when, when we keep the eyes of our heart fixed on God as the core of our desire, that draws us through history into his future. So we have these two halves to blessing that we bless the present moment where it becomes sacred, not because anything on the surface has changed, but because our awareness of everything has been transformed. And we have blessing as an invitation to the future to break out of despair and anxiety and to believe that God is a God of hope. So what does this mean for all of us in this room today? What is the invitation? What is the challenge for us as we continue to explore to carry one another's burdens? I believe that we must generously bless one another's presence so that we can be reminded of what's true and remain open to newness. We're so stodgy with our words. 
Many of, us, many of you are probably like me. You recognize when someone is doing something wonderful or you have this, do you ever have that feeling when you just look at a friend and you're like, oh my gosh, you're the best. Like you're, oh, and you're like, you want to cry when you look at a friend, you know, you're like, you're, but you're here. Like you're actually a real, weird, wonderful human being. You know, you ever get that like feeling of affection or tenderness for a friend or a loved one? How many times do you ever say something? Why? Why? Why do we waste those times? It's because we've been so conditioned by flattery and advice that we forget or we hold back because we're so allergic to those counterfeit visions of blessing. When someone does it to us and, the, and our fists come up, we're like, what are you trying to do? Why are you trying to manipulate me? Or we're so afraid that it'll be taken the wrong way or whatever it might be. And we all go around crying out for blessing when God has literally put us in a room together. How many of us were looking to say, God, when are you going to move? When are you going to speak? And the most profound way that God speaks is through the person that's sitting right next to you. And we forget that. It's no less sacred. It's no less divine because it comes through the body of Christ. That's what we're here for. That's what we're here to do. So the more, as John O'Donohue is telling us, the more that you learn how to bless, to awaken the eyes of, of someone else, like the eyes of their heart, the more you will be blessed. The more you will be awakened to awe and wonder, the transcendent beauty of this present moment, the invitation to hope in the future. And it becomes this beautiful cycle where as we freely bless one another without fear, of judgment or fear of it being taken wrong or whatever it might be, we all grow together and we all transcend together. And so here's the challenge. I want you to take out your phone and you want to open up a note. You're going to write a blessing. You're going to write a blessing. There's a couple criteria. The first, the first thing is this. What's on your heart right now? What are you wrestling with? What are you struggling with? Are you having a hard time with your relationship with God as revealed in Jesus? Are you having a hard time with your identity, who you are in Christ? You're having a hard time seeking your purpose, what you're here to do, where you put your energies, where you put your time and your effort. What is most poignantly on your heart? And then I want you to consider what is the thing that I would most need to hear right now that is not advice and it's not flattery, but it blesses the deepest questions that are in my heart? Who do I belong to? Who am I? And what am I here to do? And so I want you to write a blessing, essentially writing to the deepest question in yourself right now, as if you're writing to somebody else. And I want you to begin with those words, may you those words of invocation, those words that call forth something that is hidden or forgotten. So I'm going to give you three minutes and you're going to write a blessing um, out of the deepest cry of your own heart. So let me pray for you um, and I'll set a timer for three minutes. So Father, we do thank you for the gift of blessing that you bless us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. But God, you bless us as you blessed Abraham so that we would be a blessing. 
so that we would invite others to wake up, to see the length, the height, the width, and the depth of your love, that we would be invited to awe and wonder through our words, through our presence, through symbol. So Holy Spirit, I pray right now, would you reveal to each one of us what is the biggest question on our heart? And would you give us language as if it is you speaking to the deepest part of us to bless us with what you see there? Come, Holy Spirit. I'll give you three minutes. about one more minute. So now I want you to turn to one another, just the one or two people next to you, and I want you to share that blessing that you have written to see how it resonates, because maybe the, the thing that's deepest on your heart 
is the thing that the person next to you needs to hear the most in the entire world right now. So I'm going to give you three minutes uh, to share those blessings with one another. Give you about 30 more seconds. How does it feel to receive those blessings? What does it do to you? What does it awaken within you? What does it remind you of? What does it reveal that was previously hidden? The amazing thing is that each of us have this incredible power to bless those 
who God has bound us to. But sometimes we even forget that we have that power, that we have that ability, and we need to be reminded, and this is my reminder to you, don't hold back, like bless each other, bless each other's presence, bless each other's gifts, bless those deep, dark questions, bless the fear, bless the joy, bless everything that you can see in the people that are next to you because our life is brief. We do not have much time and I don't want any of us to waste it. So I want to invite you all to stand with me. And we're going to continue in worship. I'm going to invite our elders and some of our leaders to go to the sides here. And if you're in a space, like you feel like you're in a space, like you're maybe like you're on the brink of one of those questions about who you belong to, about who you really are, about what you're supposed to do, and you need a blessing, they're going to pray over you. And I trust these people enough to know that they're not going to flatter you and tell you how sweet you are or anything like that. Remember, like we just read in Galatians 6, you're not that important. Um, and they're not going to give you advice through prayer, which I hate personally. I don't know about you, right? When someone prays for you and you're like, this is advice. Like, this is a fortune cookie. Stop it, you know? What happens when we, when we pray blessing over each other is we have the audacity to believe that God is alive and active today and actually speaks. If we don't believe that, we reduce the whole thing to adv good advice by kind of airing our anxieties out into the ether of the universe and see what happens, you know? When we believe God is living and active, we learn how to just pray blessing over one another and believe God is actually going to do something in that space. So I'm gonna invite elders and leaders to move now. I'm gonna pray and for, we're gonna spend some time in worship uh, just kind of meditating on the blessing of God and his presence to us. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this invitation and this challenge to, to receive blessing, but also to offer it. Lord, may we day by day be awoken to the, the, the depths of your love, the height of your love and the width of your love. May we never cease to strive for awe and wonder. May we learn the balance between a deep contentment with where we are today and also a drive to become more, to seek new horizons, to never give up uh, moving forward in our story with you. So Holy Spirit, I invite you in this time of worship to move in us and through us, to speak to the deepest parts of us what we need to hear, uh, to bring healing, to bring hope. And I pray that in this time, even, we would be transformed to look a little bit more like Jesus than we did when we first came in. So bless us, Lord, as we bless you. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. Let's worship. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.